Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. message I have prepared this morning, I usually start off with scripture and I, and I want to honor the word and, and we usually stand for the word and this morning I just, I, I don't have like that, that gripping scripture that really tells the story this morning um, and I think that's because the Lord kind of gave me something and I was working on it and then he kind of took me a little bit different direction so what I, what I had as the foundation now isn't so much the foundation um, but it's the in-between that uh, that really stood out to me. Um, now, there's no no secret here. I'm a fan of the Old Testament. Um, some people uh, criticize me for that, Daryl, but um, I, I, it's all in jest. I mean, Daryl Daryl's a fan of the New Testament and loves to follow Jesus and how he he displayed love on the earth. Um, and Daryl is a fan of walking that out in his life and inspiring others to do the same, as we all should. I mean, that is a lesson and a learning that we should all know. Um, if we love him, we ought to walk like him. We ought to be like him. Um, and and Daryl uh, is, is the number one guy for that message for sure. But, but I'm a fan of the Old Testament because, to me, I wanted to know who God was. Who is God the Father? Who is the character of God? What does he like? What, what, what triggers him? What moves him? Um, what angers him? What, what brings him joy? And I, and I wanted to, that was part of my, my personal walk, is to really dig into the Old Testament and understand who this God of old was. And then, of course, you have to contrast that with Jesus, who was God in the flesh and God on the earth. And you, and you look at him and, and and they sit in different seats. One was in the heavens and ruled from the heavens. The other one rules through the heavens but stands on the earth. And you can see the impact around Jesus really transitioned from what I like to look at is, is God in the Old Testament moved on a people. He moved on a mass of people. He moved at a population level where Jesus comes down and says, okay, now, now I want to move at an individual level. And, and, and we can see things in the Old Testament <clears throat> that God did for groups of people. And we'll get into some of those today. But God moved in groups. He moved on the population of people. And then you can draw parallels to what he does today, what he did in the time of Jesus, and how he moved on individuals with the same lesson and the same uh, movement and, and the same action. But the, the Old Testament I, I enjoy um, because there, there's a lot of intrigue. The stories are fascinating. Um, and, and I think we, we tend to overlook that sometimes and we tend to, to lose sight of the, the drama that's in the Old Testament. Um, so I want to highlight some of that today as I spill my water on myself here. Somebody help me. Somebody. Oh, okay. I took your. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was just borrowing it. I didn't steal it. All right. Praise the Lord. What do you say about that? But the Old Testament, I was thinking about Joseph. And if you think about Joseph, there's so much drama in his life, right? He's born. He's this uh, favored child, if you would. Then all his siblings kind of reject him and say, like, you know, why is he treated so well? And they finally say, well, enough of this. We're going to. We're going to get rid of Joseph, you know, 
and they staged this whole thing, and they were going to kill him initially, and then, and then one of his brothers kind of has mercy on him and says, well, let's just send him away. And they go in, and they, very good, thank you very much. Um, but then they, there's this whole cover-up, and there's this whole intrigue, and it, I mean, it's the making of a movie, right? Um, and, and there's a lot of drama and stuff around that. And, and Joseph is sent away, and he's sent to Egypt. He's traded there, becomes a, a slave in Egypt. And they find out that he has this gift of interpreting dreams. And here, this chosen child that's rejected by his family, that's sold into slavery, that ends up in Egypt, has this one gift and the integrity to know how to use it well. And that gift ends up not only saving his family, but saves multitudes of people as he warned them of the coming famine. And Egypt was smart enough and and recognized how unique and valuable this gift is that they moved and they created these storehouses that you can still see today where they kept this grain. And, And as the famine hit and as people needed food, they couldn't grow the food because of the the drought in the land, they came to the people who had the big storehouses, and that's Egypt. And and as we all know, even a superficial knowledge of Egypt, we know that Egypt had a lot of gold. They had a lot of uh, uh, valuables and riches. And this is part of how they got that. People were, were giving up all of their valuables to get the food they needed in the midst of a famine. And so, and so there's this wonderful story about how Joseph is, is the rejected child who then gets identified because of this gift. He is raised to, to a position in Egypt where then he is reunited with his family. And the beautiful thing about that is he could have been really bitter. And he shows this, this great love and graciousness towards his family that rejected him. And there's this beautiful picture of this reunion at the end of it. And then as time would have it and time goes on, and as that generation passed and the new generation came in, we learned that Egypt now saw these people that were so prosperous and welcome because of the gifts that God had given them that that preserved them in the time of famine. Now their numbers started to get too big, and people, instead of leading with their heart and understanding, they led with their head and said, these people become a threat. And so we see this same group of people that were once cherished now become a threat, and now they're put in bondage, and they become slaves in Egypt. And so there's a, a great story that runs throughout the Old Testament there. And so, so as we look at that, and we look at the, the dreamers and that kind of thing, and we think about today, who are the dreamers today? And I know we've got some in this house that, that and, and I know God has allowed me to see at moments, to allow me to see at moments these, these pictures, these images, these visions of things, and, and a lot of it just doesn't make sense. And a lot of it I have to go to God and go, what does this mean? Because I don't get it. And one, one that I had, and, and, I, and I've got some understanding on it, is, is, is like I'm standing in a stadium. And I can look up and I can see the stands. And it is just full of people. Everywhere, there's full of people. And there's not a one light on in the stadium except for this fire pit, if you will, that's suspended over the field. And you can see the fire leaping up out of this fire pit. And you can see the reflection on, on the faces of everyone in the stands. 
And I believe what God was telling me in that and the, what he impressed on, my, on my, uh, my, my heart was that people like to see the fire. They like to see his presence, but they don't really like to get near it. Because they like to, to sit back and watch from a comfortable place where they can observe and they can say how wonderful it is to happen over there. But they don't want to do what it takes and do the work to come down and be near the fire and near the presence because they know that's going to cost them something. And so here it is, this, this presence of the Lord is suspended over the field and nobody wants to be near it. Everyone wants to see it. Everyone wants to watch. Never wants to see what happens over there. But nobody wants to really be near it. There's no one clamoring to get to the middle of the field to, to, to cut the cables and drop it down where they can get to it. They like the fact that it's up there, suspended, it's controlled, and nobody's trying to get to it. And so on my heart, I will tell you what, that's one of those things that, that burns within me, and it's, and it's part of the, the heart of this house is more. We constantly want to be striving and moving towards that flame, towards the presence of the Lord. Because where that presence is and the, the closer that we can draw to it and the more that we can get rid of ourselves, and the more that we can become like him and that he can move through us, the signs and wonders and those things of power that God moved in days of old that we like to sit and look at and say, wasn't it interesting back then, but we don't see that today. And I'm convinced that we don't see that today because we're not willing to pay the price to be in his presence, to draw close to him and get near that fire. And so our job here is to inspire you, is to push you, is to challenge you to draw close to that fire. And that's not going to happen in an hour and a half on Sunday morning. We'll take little steps getting there, but it'll take your entire life before you can really feel the heat. What you're going to have to do is, is take that challenge on your own. You're going to have to dig into the word. You're going to have to spend time in prayer. And you're going to have to seek the Lord on your own. Because, again, what, what he used to do for populations, he's now doing at an individual level. And so I want to challenge you this morning to draw close to that, frame, that flame. You can get near the frame, too, but that's not going to do you as much good. But that's part of the more that's, that's, that's in, our, in our mission, is that, is that we, we serve an unlimited God. When can you ever, like, tap out on an unlimited God? The only reason we tap out and plateau in any of our spiritual lives is because we want to. You can go back to the manna. People could eat as much manna as they wanted that day. You couldn't keep it for tomorrow. It wasn't going to be any good. But you can have as much as you wanted for that day. And that's, like we, that's, that's just like we operate in the spirit today, and that's like we pursue them today. Is that we, we'll eat until we're comfortable, and then we'll say, oh, that's enough. And instead of having this all-consuming passion and drive for more of him, we get satisfied and get comfortable, and we say, oh, I'm good. I'm good. And that's not everybody. Obviously, it stirred my heart. I'm sure there's others here It stirred your hearts on that. But I want to encourage the rest of you, the rest of you that have been idle, that feel like you've plateaued, that's been through one of these dry seasons and nothing's changing, just keep going. Katie said, and Daryl said yesterday, you never know what number you are. It might take 30 times of you knocking on that door, knocking on that door, knocking on that door. But the Lord said he will answer, and that door will be opened. And he says, you just got to keep knocking, just keep knocking. 
And you know what? Most of the time it's not because he's not willing to answer. It's because you're not ready to receive what he has on the other side of that door. That was not in my message, but there's no cost, so you're welcome. All right. Well, what I wanted to really get to um, is, is not Joseph, but I really want to get to Moses. Um, because there's a, there's a great story around Moses, right? Moses, the baby, hunted by the, the Egyptians that knew about this, this uh, prophecy, and they tried to get rid of him and, and, and bless Moses for having a sister. Having a sister that was like, uh-uh, I'm going to take care of my little bro-bro. I'm going to take care of him. I made that up. I thought that was cute. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. Not too much, Kitty. But she took him and, and put him in the basket and then and went down the creek and watched him. And when the princess found him, and I love how God just orchestrates that. Because the same people, theoretically, that were trying to get rid of him were the ones that became his salvation in that moment. And I love the boldness of Miriam to go up to the princess and go, oh, I see you have a new baby there. Do you want me to find a mama who can take care of him? I know just the person. And, of course, she went away and and got her mom. And they they raised Moses. And, of course, Moses rises up in Egypt, and he becomes the prince of Egypt. And, of course, Moses has this one bad decision he makes as he begins to realize his identity and who he really is. And he makes this one bad decision that, that he can't walk away from, and he kills this, this uh, slave master and tries to cover it up. And, of course, as soon as he realizes he's been found out, he does what, what a lot of people like to do, and that is run. And that puts him out in, into the wilderness. It puts him out away from things. He, he tried to take the early retirement, if you will. He was just going to go out in the country, put his past behind him, leave a quiet live a quiet and peaceful life out there, uh, uh, shepherding the, the animals, whatever they had, you know, had moved on. And I love what God does. Moses there out, you have to imagine him just out in the field, tending to the animals, walking them around, and he sees this bush that's on fire. And I've got to imagine he, he might have smelled the smoke, he might have seen the smoke, and he knew that something was wrong. And that got his attention. And he rounds the corner, gets on the other side of the tree, over the top of the hill, whatever it was, and he sees this bush. And, you know, I just, this is one of the reasons I love the Bible, is stories like this. He sees this bush, and he goes and looks at it, and he's like, it is on fire, but it is not burned up. And, you know, there, there had to be a moment where he goes, I know I bumped my head, but I didn't think I bumped it that hard, you know? And, and he had to question his sanity for a moment. And we all know about the burning bush. But, but the best part is we lose sight of, of, I think, what the best part is. It wasn't just a burning bush. It was a talking burning bush. It says the Lord spoke from the midst of the bush. And so now Moses, you know, he's, he's got to go, oh, I need some therapy. I need some help. Something's going on here. But he recognized it's the voice of the Lord. And, of course, we know that he ends up back in Egypt and back as an advocate where his identity was drawing him to anyway um, for his people. And so, um, yeah, the talking burning bush. I don't know why that's not. We talk about the burning bush. We don't talk about the talking burning bush. I read that and I went, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We leave that part out. That's the best part. 
And of course, part of what Moses goes back to, he confronts Pharaoh in Egypt, and we know about the plagues. Um, and there's another great move that God makes there that I find interesting and, and largely unknown. Because we, we know about the plagues, and we know that, that Pharaoh was a hard man. He didn't want to change his mind, and God was doing these miraculous plagues on him. And he gets up to about the fifth plague, and the word says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, told Moses, no, sent him away. And then you get up to about the fifth, fifth or sixth plague there, and the text changes. And it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Which tells me that, that when we're going to be stubborn and obstinate, there's a point where God's going to go, oh, you're going to be like that? Okay. Well, put your seatbelt on. We're going, we're going to take this ride all the way to the end. And there, there comes this point where God says, all right, you're going to be difficult about this. You're not going to listen to what I'm saying. You're going to have this stubborn, hard heart. Then we're really going to break this thing down. And he's going to take you further than you thought you were able to go. And we can, look at, we can look at Pharaoh, and he took him through those last four plagues, and Pharaoh didn't have a choice because God intervened and wouldn't let Pharaoh entertain the idea of saying, yes, let the people go. And what a story that is, that God moves on his heart that way. Because we want to, to focus on love, and we want to, to focus on how gracious God is and that kind of thing, but there's times when, when God says no. There's times when God brings the dry season. There's that, that one scripture, and, and someone help me if you know where it's at, but it talks about if my people will turn from their wicked ways, I'll, I'll restore their hearts, heal their land, something like that. But if you back up about three scriptures, it was God who brought the famine. And so what he's saying there is, is I'm not saving you from the enemy, but if you'll turn, I'll save you from me. I'll save you from the hardened heart just like I did Pharaoh in your own life. And we can, we can shorten this a little bit, but you've got to come to the realization that you've got to soften your heart. You've got to change your heart. All right. I really thought this would not be as long as it's making out to be, but I get excited about the Old Testament. So we've got Moses and the plagues and then the Exodus. And of course, as we probably all faced, you know, the, the people of Israel have come out, and now they're at the, the edge of the sea, and things look hopeless. They're surrounded again by Egypt. God has a way of surrounding us with, with every kind of circumstance and every kind of trouble just to show us how faithful he is. And just when, when they were about to give up hope, and they were starting to grumble and complain and rebel within him, God said, and he blew open a path on the east wind all night long. And so while, while it was dark and they couldn't see, God was making a way for them. And all night long, God worked to dry that seabed and make it solid so that they had a, a solid path to walk across. God didn't transport them or whatever, but he made a way for them. And then they had a choice. They could go back to Egypt. They could surrender to all the, the difficulty and challenges around them, or they could choose to follow the path that God had laid out for them. And as we knew, they crossed the sea, they, they got out of Egypt, and we, we know that that is symbolically significant for us today, 
Because we, we look at that salvation out of Egypt. We look at how, how they were in bondage and they were, they were uh, uh, subject to, to Pharaoh and subject to Egypt. And they were liberated from that. And we know that's a parallel to the sin and bondage in our own life. And that we all go through this same exodus moment when we finally hear and respond to the call of the Lord in our life. And we finally say, okay, Lord, save me. And unfortunately, I know I grew up for a number of years, as an adult, I should say. I was in church a number of years, and that seemed like the end. That seemed like the salvation was the ultimate goal of why we were in church, is is to get people saved. And yes, that's important. But if I look at the Bible and I can say, you know, God saved them from Egypt, and he saves us from our sin, but that is not the end of the story. If we look at Deuteronomy 6.23, let's go to 6.21. And this is is where the Lord is setting the the reminders in in Israel. And he says, so then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. See, there's two steps in this process. He brought us out to bring us in. He brought us out of, of our own sin, our own bondage, in our own lives, not to just bring us out and save us from that, but because he has another plan to take us into the promises for our life. He didn't just bring us out just to, to leave us just outside of sin. It, it, it's, it's, it's one of, of, of the three steps there. And the step I want to talk a little bit more about today is the one in the middle, the one that's not mentioned, but it's the one that we're all familiar with, and that is the wilderness. You see, ultimately, God wants to to bring us out of the sin in our life, out of the bondage, out of the, the curse of sin in our life, take us through this wilderness season and deliver us into the promised land. Now, what does that look like for you and I? For the Israelites, it was a place. It had a name, it had geography, they could look and see it. So what does that look like for our lives? And there's a lot of discussion around this. Some people say that's heaven. Some people say the promise is heaven. I tend to think it is the life that God would have us live. I would think it's the promises he's made over our life. It's, it's the gifts and the talents that, that he's placed within us, that he wants us to operate in the fullness of his character and his love. Like we said earlier, if you love him, you ought to walk like him. You ought to be like him. I think that ultimately is the promise. And it's through the wilderness that we get there. It's through the wilderness that we we learn who God is and we learn to depend on him. Let's let's look at the Israelites here. So the wilderness is mentioned over 300 times in Scripture. And 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 I can I can I break your theology for a minute? They didn't wander in the wilderness. There was no wandering about in the wilderness. We hear that a lot. We've heard that a lot. But what what did they have? 
They had a cloud by day and the fire by night. How do you wander when you have a pillar of cloud during the day that you can look up and go, there it is. And fire that's glowing at night. Tell me how you wander in that. As a people, they weren't wandering. As individuals, there was a struggle there. And we can see that. And that's the struggle that we have in our life. We, we have, and I've got it electronically here, but, but if you've got your Bible, you've got direction. You've got that, that cloud by day and that fire by night. It, it, it's just whether you're willing to open it and dig into it. Because the direction is already there. It's already set. But they didn't wander. They didn't wander, and neither should we. Um, Exodus 23.20. And, uh, and if your Bible is like mine, it's got a little section header there. It says, a promise of the Lord's presence. Exodus 23.20 says, See, I'm sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I have prepared for you. Now, that word angel is a Hebrew word called malak, which means messenger. And it's the same uh, word in the Bible that is used for the Holy Spirit. And so just like they had a messenger that guided them, the, the cloud by, by day and the pillar of fire by night, God gives us a messenger in Acts 2 that ought to guide us 24-7, 365. And that's that Holy Spirit that should be living within us, that we should have our ears tuned to, that that little pit in our stomach that sometimes gets tied in a knot that's trying to tell us that something's wrong, we ought to get, get tuned into that so we understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to show us. And you know, some people have, have got their radios tuned in a little bit better than others. And I know sometimes that causes friction and we want to look at some of these people and go, ah, I don't know about those people. But, but don't, don't, don't compare yourself just because they got their radio tuned in a little bit better than yours. Don't, don't necessarily say that they're a little fruity or whatever. They, they just might have their ear tuned in a little bit better. Now, that's going to show in the fruit of their lives, and that's where you can, can see whether or not they're listening to the right voice or not. Verse 21, pay close attention to him. This is the messenger, and obey his instructions. Do not rebel against him, for he is my representative. And he will not forgive your rebellion. Ooh, that's, that's tough right there now. But if you're careful to obey him, following all my instructions, then I'll be an enemy to your enemies, and I'll oppose those who oppose you. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jubasites, Facebookites, TikTokites, Politicites. Frenemies, ites. We got lots of voices and people that surround us sometimes that are not, not necessarily the ones that, that are going to be lifting us up and encouraging us. And, and if some of those friends aren't lifting up and encouraging us, some of us need to find new friends. I mean, that's just the, that's the truth of it. They might be exciting, they might be fun, but if they're not building you up, they're probably tearing you down. But in the wilderness, they didn't wander. They had direction. And they also learned to seek him and find him. And the wilderness, as you remember, is where the Lord invited them to come up on the mountain. 
And just like the vision I saw of this fire pit hanging above the stadium, what'd those people say? Uh uh-uh. uh. Moses, you go up. Tell us what he said. And so that, that, that hesitation, that, that, that desire not to be near, but we want him around. The Lord does great things. Rescued us from Egypt, saved us from that, but um, we'll let those people over there deal with them directly. We're gonna, we'll stay back here and wait for the report. When it's God's desire is to have you come up and meet him, and meet him face to face. So in the wilderness, you find his presence. And in the wilderness, you find provision. The people of Israel received manna every day. They got water from a rock, and their clothes and shoes never wore out. God provides. And then you also have to to recognize that in the wilderness, it was a place of transformation. You see, the people had come out of Egypt, but Egypt hadn't come out of the people. And so while we, we, can, we can be saved, we can, we can pray a prayer, and we can be faithful, and we can be earnest with it, and our heart can be changed, we still have all the habits, we still have all of, you know, maybe the filth and nastiness, we still have the friends that we have to go back to and separate ourselves from, we still have, maybe have a job that, that draws us into temptation that we need to walk away from. There's still a lot of mess that we could have trailing along with us that we need to transform our lives into something that would edify God and get rid of the baggage, get rid of Egypt that we want to carry with us. And let's be honest, sometimes we're hanging on to Egypt. Sometimes we're just carrying that suitcase around because we like that suitcase. And we've got to let God do a work in our heart until we get to the point in our own life where we're willing to put that suitcase down to pick up the the carrying bag that he would have us carry. Because we want to we hang on to what's certain sometimes, and God's not willing to, to give us something new until we release something old. So we have to examine our own lives, because wilderness seasons come, and, and we, we look for, how can we get out of this the quickest? How can we get back to a place of comfort, a place of ease? I don't like the wilderness. I don't like having to depend on God. I just like things comfortable. And really, we shouldn't be looking for when can I get out of the wilderness, but what can I get out of the wilderness? Because the Lord is trying to transform us through the wilderness. The Hebrew word that's used many, many times is middabar. And I'm probably saying that wrong. Someone who knows how to speak Hebrew can correct me. But Midbar means a desolate place, a desert, or the wilderness. It's one of the beautiful things about the Hebrew language, and, and Karen touched on this earlier, um, is the word love. Um, and I remember Daryl, I don't know why, but um, we love our family, we love our mashed potatoes. Um, probably not loving them the same. We use the same word, but it has different meanings. Um, in Hebrew, the words are just so much richer. English as a language is just not very good. Now, there's people that really know how to work it, um, but so many other languages have so much depth and emotion tied up in one word. And we find that in Hebrew. But Midabar means a desolate place, a desert, or a wilderness. But that same word can also mean any open area. It just means like an empty field. And it's the same word 
that is used to describe a field where a shepherd would take his sheep. And if you think about the Lord being the, the good shepherd, and he takes us into the midbar. And you think about what that shepherd does in that field. That shepherd washes over his sheep. The shepherd takes that sheep to a place where they can graze, where they can eat, where they can be healthy, where they're cared for. He provides for them. He protects them. And he leads them into those green pastures. And the beautiful thing about that is that the sheep learn the shepherd's voice. There was something I read one time called a sheepfold. And the shepherds at night would bring the, the flocks in from the grazing land and they would bring them into what's called a sheepfold, which essentially was an, an area that they had made that had uh, these like low stone walls or had some kind of brush that surrounded them. And the shepherds would bring their flocks in and there would be uh, one shepherd would tend the gate and they would open the gate and let a flock of sheep in. And another shepherd would come and he would let another flock of sheep in. And so come morning, you could have 10 different flocks in there. But all the shepherd had to do was come to the gate and call his sheep. And his sheep knew his voice. And they would come to the gate and he could lead his sheep back out. The other sheep were unfamiliar with, with the voice of this shepherd. And so they, they were wary of the shepherd. But the ones that he was familiar with, the ones that he had led into the pasture, into the wilderness, into the middle bar, that knew his voice, came when he called. And so I feel like that there's a lesson there about knowing the shepherd's voice and responding to the shepherd's voice. Well, that same word, spelled the same way, can be pronounced a little bit differently, and it's metabur. Again, I'm probably saying that wrong. But that word is from the same root. Now, you have to... Have to know, I don't know, you don't have to know, I'm going to tell you anyway, though. But in Hebrew, they don't have vowels. It's like all consonants. So if you translate it directly and you do the sounds, there, there's no vowels. And they know by context what the word should be, depending on how it's used in the sentence. Think of, you know, I'm going to play the record, and then I'm going to record a song. The word is spelled the same, but has two different meanings. Right? We see the same thing in Hebrew. And this other word, metabar, again, spelled the same, means to speak to. And so if you think about the people who went into the wilderness, the Abrahams, the Moses, the Davids, the Johns, who were famous for being in the wilderness. They didn't go in the wilderness because the wilderness was fun, but they went there because that's where God would speak to them. That's where the shepherd would speak to his flock. And we can even look at Jesus, and we know the temptation he faced in the wilderness. It says that after, after he met John and was baptized, he went into the wilderness for 40 days and was tempted. But he didn't go into the wilderness because the wilderness was a good place to be tempted. He went into the wilderness because the wilderness was a good place to hear his father's voice. And we can see that in the response he had to every temptation. When he says, the word says, my father says, and so the, the wilderness was a place where he could come and hear the, the Father's voice. And it gets better. So these two words, midbar, metabar, they both come from a single common root word called davar, or dabar. The v, in, the v and the B in Hebrew it ends up being the same sound and, and often is interposed. 
this same word <clears throat> is a place where God speaks. So the same root word is, is literally translated a place where God speaks or a sanctuary. And in 1 Kings, it is used to describe the Holy of Holies. And so the idea here is, is that, that we need to stop running from this wilderness testing. We need to stop running from, from this, uh, uh, this time in the wilderness. We, we've come to, to understand that the wilderness is not a great place to be. And we want to jump right through the wilderness and get right to the, the Jordan and jump into the promised land. And, and that's where we, we try to get to. But I think what I'm, what I'm seeing here this morning and what is jumping out of the text is that the wilderness is a place where we need to go and just saturate under the goodness of God. The, the wilderness is a place where we can go and, and the, the great shepherd can take his people and take him to the wilderness and can take him to those green pastures and he can speak to his shepherd, speak to his sheep. And we as his sheep can come to know his voice. And that is also the same place that is a sanctuary with him. It is the same holy of holies. It's a place where we can go and worship with him. And I don't know about you, but I, but I have for, for years heard about this wilderness, and it's, and it's always been like, how quickly can we get out of it? They wandered for 40 years. They were lost. We don't want to spend time being lost and wandering. We want to hear God's voice. We want to move. And the whole time, if we, if we move without hearing his voice, if we, if we don't know his voice and we don't have the character and we don't have Egypt out of us, we're going to move into the promise and make a mess of it. And so we've got to stop treating the wilderness as if it's a bad place. The wilderness is a place where you can be nurtured and loved, where God is going to provide and protect. And all he wants you to do is know his voice. Leave Egypt behind. Get all of that mess out of your life. Know his voice. And when he calls, you come. So we've got to open our spiritual eyes. And I'm closing here, Lucas, if you'll come. We've got to stop running from the wilderness. We've got to stop looking for shortcuts in the wilderness. We've got to recognize that if God takes us into the wilderness, there is a purpose and a meaning behind it. It's his desire to take us into that place, care for us, surround us, keep us there, give us everything we need, if we'll just settle down and listen to his voice. And we've got to quit running from it. The shortcuts are not going to help us. The shortcuts are going to take us to the edge of the Jordan River, and we're going to stand there and watch the water go by, and it's never going to part for us. Because, you know, if we look at the Israelites in Egypt, there was an entire generation that had to pass away, save one or two, I think. There's an entire generation that had to pass away there was an entire generation that, that stayed in the wilderness, that saw the faithfulness of God, that saw him provide, saw themselves cared for, that had to pass away before they got Egypt out. Before the poison of, of Egypt, the poison of sin, the poison that, that kept them from fully embracing all that God had for them, has to pass away. And what he did for 
a group of people for Israel back then is the same thing he does for us today. And so I want to encourage you this morning that whatever the wilderness looks like where you're at, and if you're in the middle of, of a season and it feels dreadful and it feels awful, yes, there are rocky places. But know that the shepherd is taking you from green pasture to green pasture. There might be a rocky place in the middle that you have to go over and go through. But know that the shepherd's desire is that his sheep grow, is that his sheep are healthy. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Well, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after Him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.